And welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 374. Yeah. Hey, you hope you're keeping well and safe we hope you've had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something doctor, doctor who related <laughs> related indeedy <laughs> welcome to 374 hope you had a good one last week listen to the old 373 <laughs> and uh yeah we are we are smashing our way through the old classic who reviews at the minute because we've done everything else Pretty much, yeah. yeah. We've done the lot. So this week it's the uh, it's the fifth Doctor, old Mister Davidson. It's his turn. We haven't done him in so long. We mentioned last week, didn't we? I think it was like what was it's it? a year ago, like wasn't it? Or June, over a year ago? May or June last year. I think we lasted a fifth yeah. Doctor story. So it's been well overdue that we uh, that we entertain the fifth Doctor, Mister Davidson, for a little while. Did I say Davidson? I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Mr. Davidson. I didn't notice. You could have got away with it. I didn't notice. Could have done. Yeah. Mm. Should have kept my mouth shut. Anyway, after this one that we're doing, <laughs> we have only got one left after that. Only one Davo? Yeah, yeah Davo. It's uh, the planet of fire after this after this ah. week. Of course, it's Frontios this week for the review. And then after that, planet of fire. Yeah. So we're going to knock him off the list pretty soon. Do you know well, what? We're clinging on to old McCoy, mate. We, he's still there with one left. Is it um, Battlefield? No, which McCoy have we got it's left? It's the Curse of Fenric. Curse of Fenric, yeah. yeah. That's the only one we've got left, is it? Uh, that's it, mate. Yeah. Wow. Do you know what? I, th- I think it's even longer that we did a, a Seventh Doctor. I feel like we haven't seen him in Yonks. Yeah. Just purposely not done it so we don't have to say goodbye no. to Mr. McCoy. It wasn't 2022, bud. Oh, God. When was it? What, we didn't do a McCoy at all last year? Nope. <clears throat> really? Yep. The last one we did. Oh, mate. This is tragic. Hold on. This can't be right. <clears throat> Hold on a minute. Surely. We must have done one. Hold on. 2022. Uh, bear with, did we not, listener. <laughs> did with. we not do... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> did we not do Battlefield or something? Do you know what, mate? We haven't done... This is... I'm not lying. This is, uh, the, this is the truth of the matter. We haven't done a Seventh Doctor story since... God, can't be 2020. No way, come on. We've done we we must have reviewed the seventh doctor before then. Surely. No, we haven't, mate. No. No. Twenty it must be twenty nineteen. We better bung one on the schedule then. We better do Yeah, but that means saying goodbye. Oh, I know. Mm. It's gotta happen one day. Oh mate. It's gotta happen. Unless you wanna save one for the bank. That's what I'm Because all, yeah. all the modern series we've done, apart from a few Christmas specials, isn't it? We've got a few Christmas specials left, and that's that's it, I think. We've done all the lot. modern series. Until we get onto the new stuff, obviously, which I can't wait to review. Yeah, yeah. 
That's one thing about, I mean, time's going so quick at the minute. I don't know if you feel this. just feel like every day goes quicker than the last one. And the only good thing about that is that, is that I know that we're getting closer to the <laughs> 60th because I'm mm. so excited for like what we've got to come and, and all the little bits that Russell's given us is really sort of um, teasing me. I was reading the page, uh, his little production notes in Doctor Who magazine yesterday. Uh, it comes out today when we're recording it, but I got my subscription copy early. And uh, it's just a page and it just gives you, it just, even the trailer is giving us new information, telling us there's little hidden things that we've missed. And uh, the person going into the shop in the rain is a guest star. That, and I, It's <laughs> weird because I did wonder who that was. He's like, no one's noticed it, but that's a guest star. Uh, and I'm thinking everyone's trying to guess who it is because you can't really see their face. Um, yeah, so I'm just, yeah, so I'm looking forward to when we get to review that in November. Cool. Be cool. He did confirm as well that everything in the trailer is just from <clears throat> the first oh, special. Step. He said there's yeah. nothing in the nothing in it from the second special at all. So we haven't even seen anything from that yet, which is amazing to think. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. Uh, talking of Russell T Davis, we got to mention him in the news this week. We've only got one news story to go through, which we'll get onto mm-hmm. in a second. And then, Montero, you're a frontios. Have you done anything cool, Doctor Who wise this week, bud? Uh, yeah, I did a cool little thing at the weekend. I went to uh, the first Phantom event of the year. So I went to their January event um, and it was very cool. They had uh, Caroline Ford there, um, it John Levine, uh, Peter Purvis, Julian Glover. And, and this was quite cool, I think, really. They had Daniel Anthony, who, of course, played Clyde course. in um, yeah. Sarah Jane Adventures. And I haven't seen him do a convention, well... I just haven't seen him do one. I don't know, you know, he sort of disappeared. I think he went off and did other acting work and theatre work. But So that was great. So I got finally got to meet Clyde and he was a really lovely guy. Like really, he just looked like he was beaming. He had a massive smile on his face all day. Really, really friendly and interactive. And um, he's 35, mate. <laughs> and he looks, he still looks about 20 at the most. Mm-hmm. He still looks about 18. It's, I don't know what, you know, what jeans he's got, what <laughs> nana jeans he's got in him. But he, yeah, see, everyone was saying he's 35 and he's got a kid and he's married and look at him. Um, but yeah, <laughs> lovely chap. Um, but, and I met Caroline Ford as well, um, who I haven't met before, but I want to get a nice picture with her. I've got a lovely pic with her. And um, normally I can't think what to say to the stars when I meet him. I get a bit, I don't know, starstruck's not the word, but... I, I I just can never really think what to say. I like to get mm-hmm. my autograph and shuffle off. I don't like to hold up the queue or anything. But with Caroline, I, I, I obviously wanted to say we, the fandom, would love to see Susan come back. And I said, I'm sure a lot of people are saying this to you at the minute, but I just want to add my voice to it. And she said, tell them, tell them you want her to come back. And I was like, I will. I don't know who I'm going to tell, but I, I will. <laughs> and I said, and one other thing I wanted to know is if you if Susan was to come back, whether the TV show would acknowledge what happened between Susan and the Eighth Doctor and Susan's son on the Big Finish audio. So I'm not going to go into what it was because it's major spoilers, but there was a big event which causes a bit, you know, a bit of friction between Susan and the Doctor. Well, big friction. And it's kind of left like that. And I think it's such a big thing that I think it, it would be a shame to ignore it if Susan come back in the TV series, but also it's not the sort of baggage you want to dwell on. And and basically she just went, well, let, uh, what did she say? It's a big thing to ignore, isn't it? And I went, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but so anyway, my thing, my inkling is, you know, and I don't know anything. I haven't got any inside information, but I just feel like we might be seeing Susan. 
in the new in in the new year. And it's just me. It's probably just me wishing it. But she started doing a lot of conventions recently. Um, I just get the feeling because Russell and Russell also he put something on someone's Instagram, didn't he? Something like, "Yeah, whatever happened to Susan?" Winky face, and <laughs> it's like, mm, I don't know. I uh, yeah, I don't know anything. I have no inside knowledge, but I just I have a hunch. Have and a I hunch. would love to see her come back. I really, really would. And yeah, yeah. It, it would just be amazing. I think so. It's great to meet those guys. Um, and uh, some of the other guests there, like uh, Peter Purvis, that I'd met before, so I didn't meet them. But um, really nice event. And uh, yeah, just great to see Dan, Daniel Anthony there. When I posted my pick later, because obviously we went to the pub afterwards and I'd had a few, um, I was posting my picks uh, on the train on the way home. <laughs> I didn't realise <laughs> I'd done it, but I'd, in all the posts on my Facebook, I'd called him Anthony Daniels. <laughs> And they were like, C-3PO was there. I'm like, what? Bloody and hell, mate. I was like, oh, no, not Anthony Daniels. I mean, Daniel Anthony. <laughs> See, that's the drink talking. Uh, that's the drink yeah. talking, yeah. Bloody so, hell. yeah, C-3PO wasn't there, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, Daniel Anthony was, so that was pretty cool. So I've, I think I've met um, so I've met him. I've met Luke, you know. Um, I can't think of their real names. I only know them as the character name, Rani. I've met the three of them now. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, Tommy Knight, isn't it? Tommy Knight, that's it. So, yeah. And then Gina Mahindri, I think so, say name. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. But apart from that, mate, um, yeah, not been up to a great deal, really. Just been pottering about. Sweet. Sweet. Yourself? Been up to much? Uh, no, I've not. I've well cracking on with your rewatch. I was going to say, yeah, I'm up to the um, I'm up to the time meddler. I've just finished episode Ooh. three of the time meddler, the um, a battle <clears throat> of wits. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I've got the last episode to watch of that, which I'll watch later. Uh, I think that's called. Oh, what's that fourth episode called? Checkmate. Yeah, I've got that to watch. So, yeah, I'm up to the end of, uh, what is it, series two now? Yeah, end of series mm. two. So I'll be cracking on with um, series three, which unfortunately a load of stories are lost, aren't they, from series three? Yeah. yeah. It's plagued with uh, with lost episodes. So I'm not sure how to get through that bit. Uh, we also need to figure that out on the podcast, dude. How are we going to get through reviewing some of those? Yeah, because we've got loads of Troughton episodes uh, left that we haven't done, but a lot of them don't exist at all. So I don't know what we're going to do there. I guess we'll just have to, I don't know, not do them. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? So yeah, just going through the rewatch and um, any Star Wars peeps listening? um, You mentioned Anthony Daniels, C-3PO. Bag my (laughs) ticket for Star Wars Celebration in April. So I'll be going to that, which is good. If anyone listens and you're a Star Wars fan and you've got a ticket as well, we can uh, we can put the Star Wars fans' backs up a bit and talk Doctor Who <laughs> at the old Star Wars convention. But otherwise, dude, no um, no events for me, nothing else, other than a bit of a rewatch through the old classic years, which is going well. Where where is the Star Wars convention? Is it um, Olympia? No, not Olympia. What's it called? No, it's at the Excel. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, yeah. it's where they hold the MCM events. Yes, yes, those cheeky buggers who got the exclusive license for that. Mm. let's not go down because we talk about the showmaster stuff don't we London <laughs> I've film seen and the prices Com. yeah Jesus Christ yeah can't yeah anyway the old falling apart like when you walk around to the Olympia 2 <laughs> where London Film Comic Con is like some of the doors are held, held together with sellotape and one of the aircon <laughs> units is super glued back on the wall and the carpet's all mashed up. <laughs> anyway. Brown and manky. Yeah, so the MCM guys, they uh, fair play to them for, for bagging the old popular culture convention exclusivity mm. contract with the XL. Very good. 
It's a much better venue, that. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. much nicer. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, should we crack on with the review? Yeah, not let's, the review. Let's do no, it, no, no, yeah. whoa, 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 no, whoa, 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 whoa. We've, we've got, got some a, news, haven't we? Got some news to talk through. Sorry, Mr. Davidson, you have to wait a bit longer. We've kept you waiting for nearly a year. <laughs> you can wait a little bit longer. But before we crack on with the news and the review, though, if this is your first time listening to the Big Blue Box, then welcome aboard. If you're one of the long-time listeners, one of the Grizzled Ancients, then welcome back. It's good to have you all here. Make sure that you are following or subscribing to this podcast in your preferred podcast app of choice. That way you won't miss an episode when it lands every single Friday. You can also listen for free over on the website, which is Big Blue Box Podcast at Credit UK. And you can listen, uh, you can listen, you can read and check out all of the cool articles and reviews from our writing team. Uh, and one dropped this morning, actually, Jordan. He's um, Jordan Shortman. He's been going through all of those old, you know, the old Virgin Adventures books from back in mm, the day. Yeah. He's reviewed a ton of those and he dropped a new one this morning for a couple of stories um, Sanctuary by um, David McKinsey and um, Human Nature by Paul. Cornell so go and check those reviews out plus like the writing team are so cool they are they put a load of bunch. cool stuff over there so um go and check those out we're on the socials too instagram twitter and facebook links on the website we chat doctor who throughout the week so come and get involved over there and we have a very cool free discord server as well the link is on the website hop in there and chat doctor who with lots of other very cool very cool who fans and don't forget to remember to check out my co-host channel it's youtube this one it's the geeks handbag yeah the geeks handbag also on the socials instagram twitter and facebook and i have one video on tiktok (laughs) (laughs) yes he's dipped his toe in the water over on tiktok so go showing some love over there and stalk him on the socials too yeah that one video yes (laughs) (laughs) rightio buddy let's progress through the time vortex, wherever you want to, you know, let's let's imagine we're flying through the star vortex from Pertwee's intro that we spoke about oh, the other yeah. day yeah. in the TARDIS, and let's do this bit of news. <laughs> so, as you mentioned earlier on in the waffle, the um, the segment in the latest issue of Doctor Who magazine with Mr. Davies. He seems to be just all over the place at the minute. Every single... He really does. It seems like every other day when we're doing a bit of research for what's happening in the world of Doctor Who, his name has been knocking around. So we're not going to cover every story, but there was one story that caught my eye, which does sound very, very cool. Mm. And that is Mr. Davies would like all of Doctor Who to be on BBC iPlayer, which is really cool. So he was interviewed about something else completely, but as is the case with anything to do with... Doctor Who. So this was, um, I can't quite believe this actually, but um, mm-hmm. Russell T. Davis and Mark Gattis, they've worked together again and they've got a new TV show out called Nolly. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why I can't believe that is because these guys must be so busy, like especially Russell <laughs> with Doctor Who. And we know that Russell's been working on Doctor Who for what at least a year, at least. Yeah. So he either did this with, with Mark ages ago or he's just found... A, a magical way of only having like two hours sleep every day. I'm not sure. Anyway, mm. those guys were being interviewed for something not Doctor Who related, but as inevitable as it always happens, uh, the subject of Doctor Who comes round, and um, and uh, they asked him about the back catalogue. They're like, "Look, this is all great that you're back for Doctor Who. You know, it's great that you're ushering in a new era, and that you've been involved since the reboot and all that sort of stuff. But what about the old stuff that people might not necessarily know about?" 
unless you want to drop some money on the old DVDs or the the Blu-ray collections that are slowly trickling out every year. Mm. And he basically said, um, uh, you 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 have to make the the back catalogue available on iPlayer. That's the first thing that we need to do. He says, I can't swear that will happen. He said, but there are contracts in place, obviously. He says, but it's our heritage. It deserves to be there so that kids can fall in love with Doctor Who like they love Friends. So he's making a reference to Friends because that just gets constant repeats on TV, on Netflix, mm. everywhere. You can it's, it's available everywhere, basically. So he's essentially saying that uh, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, should be treated in the same way. Now... We can't obviously do too much at the moment, I don't think, because of those contracts that he mentions. But he, one thing that was quite clever that he said there was, you make all of the back catalogue available first on iPlayer. Mm. And he goes on to say that, um, uh, that um, episodes from everything are available to stream on BritBox, uh, he says, which is great. He said, but our hope is to make them available for free on iPlayer. And that's the second thing that um, I sort of latched onto because BritBox is a paid subscription service, obviously. So if you want to watch classic Doctor Who and you don't own the physical media, um, you have to pay BritBox to do that. Now, that's nothing wrong with that in itself. You know, that's uh, that's a thing. But these two things do kind of make sense. And the reason why I picked out his comment about available first is because I can foresee in however many months or years to come when these contracts that he mentions are sort of coming up for renewal or coming up to expire, that I reckon we could see the full catalogue of Doctor Who on Disney+. Plus. I can oh, see yes. that Yeah, I can coming. see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Russell is basically saying, look, let's make everything free first on iPlayer because obviously here in the UK especially, the home of Doctor Who is, of course, the BBC. And mm-hmm. the BBC is, you know, they run iPlayer and all that stuff. So that would be the first step into making it. It's not technically free, is it? Because you need the license. You need a TV license to watch iPlayer. Technically, yeah, quote true. unquote. Yeah. So it's not technically free, but you're not paying. Um, you're not paying a, a subscription service to something like BritBox when you only want to watch Doctor Who. I think is mm. you know the point he's making. Um, so I think we could see everything on Disney Plus at some point, especially if this new stuff goes well. If the ratings for Doctor Who just go, you know, through the roof. Um, globally on Disney Plus as well as here in the UK on the TV, on the telly box. I reckon that could be a thing. And then secondly, um, his comment around um, uh, around kids falling in love with it, like friends and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a good point to make because when you look at a lot of the successful TV shows that have been around for the last, I don't know, 10 years, for example... Things like the Big Bang Theory, um, mm. Friends, you know, all of those big shows. Um, you can just see that they've got the, the repeat value on those. They'll be with us for decades, like yeah. like yeah. literally, probably, I don't know, 20, 30 years, we'll still be watching Friends repeats and the Big Bang and whatever mm. other, sh- you know, like Game of Thrones and all these things that are just, you can just play them forever. There's no mm. reason why Doctor Who, even classic Doctor Who, should not be included in that same bucket, if you like, because mm. the, the the even something like Doctor Who has just got such a, a larger vault of amazing content. I'm not saying that Friends didn't 
and those sort of things, you know, the Big Bang, they ran for a long time. But yeah. come on now, Classic Who has just got such a massive thing. So anyway, dude, um, Russell, I think is going to have. I think he's going to have a little bit of a push to mm, get everything related like onto iPlayer, which is amazing. And um, mm. yeah, he seems to be the man that's got a, a bit of influence as well with the execs mm. at the BBC. So I think if he if he wants it to happen, I think he could. I think he's got the. He's got the clout, if you like, and the muscle. So what say thee? You up for this on iPlayer? Yeah, I like that. That's a good way of putting it, where he's got the clout. Because, mm. he, yeah, he's definitely um, he's definitely quite powerful within the TV industry at the minute, isn't he? Uh, yeah, no, it would be great. I think the more people than, that can access Classic Who, the better. It's, uh, it's strange how I always assume that people have seen it, if, if that makes sense. Like, very often friends will say to me... Uh, so, for example, actually, our friend Morgan, when we last went to see the the BFI event we went to see the time meddler which you were talking about earlier and I said oh this is a cracking story isn't it and he went I've, I've never seen it I'm like the, I, you haven't what? seen the time meddler <laughs> and it's just the shock that some you know I, in my head I just naturally think any friend of mine that's a dot two fan has, has, has seen them all they're not friends much longer and that's right off out of here <laughs> <laughs> but it's just yeah it's just this natural assumption that they've they've got them all but of course um you know, the, not everyone's got all the DVDs or BritBox, and if you haven't, then you're they're probably buying the Blu-ray sets. But like you said, they're coming out quite slowly. So, so yeah, there's probably a lot of people out there that would love to dive in to some classic Who. And also, I'm I think about when they all went on Twitch, and uh, they were hugely popular, weren't they? Was it is it mm. Twitch? Am I thinking the right thing? What it's called? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were hugely popular and introduced a lot of Doctor Who fans. That's you know grown up with from Eccleston onwards um, that had never seen them before and were just loving it and and fascinated by it and couldn't believe how different it is and how d- different television was made from the sixties to the seventies to the eighties you know so yeah I would love to see them on the iPlayer and I agree with Russell I think it'd be great if they were on there for people to look at to to watch yeah definitely yeah 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 and um. We're not going to go into too much detail because it's it's kind of confirmed, but not, if you know what I mean. But Russell mm. did mention in another interview that he did that um, the spin-offs are looking pretty likely to, to happen now. But yeah. there's just no stamp of, yes, here's the first announcement for, mm. for a spin-off of Doctor Who. It's just Russell basically saying... Um, uh, that he he wants the spin-offs to return and he he felt like when he was running the show before that um he always believed in them which is why he was so keen to create sarah jane and torchwood etc so um but he also acknowledges that in around 2008 when he left he could see why the decline in the spin-offs happened because the budgets were being cut all the time and mm. and all that stuff so yeah he basically says um we're ready for Doctor Who to, and he quotes, time for the next stage of the Who-niverse. Mm. And that's on its way. So there's still no official, yep, we're having spin-offs, definitely. But it's looking pretty likely, dude. But when we get more news on that stuff, we'll we'll dive into that a bit more. But mm. yes, as you said, mate, Russell just dropping just a ton of hints all over the place. <laughs> He's all over it. He's all over it, mm. yeah, which is cool. So there we go. Um, we might see all of Doctor Who, the complete catalogue, on iPlayer at some point in the near future, which would be very cool. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. Radio <clears throat> bud, let's crack on with the old review right. what we got this week. Go on then, let's get Davo out of the out of the TARDIS. So yeah, we haven't seen the fifth doctor in a while and this week we're reviewing the story Frontius. 
We're being dragged towards the planet. Help me! Sucked into the earth in front of my eyes. Doctor, do something! Don't panic! Frontios buries its own dead. There's something going on here, isn't there? I think your colony of Earth people is in grave danger of extinction. The tractators need living flesh. They need minds. As well as bodies. It is I know what they are! I know what they're trying to do! They are the appetite beneath the ground! Hold on, Doctor! I'll give you a hand! No, stay back! TARDIS has been destroyed. You will never leave Frontiers now! Oh, I love Davison's voice at times, you know. You know, when he's got mm-hmm. that kind of something bad has happened, but he's still got that calm, like, he's like this. The TARDIS has been destroyed. <laughs> he's got that kind of deep, breathy. It's very yes. cool. Yeah, that's what, anyway. That is a great trailer. <clears throat> that is a cool. great trailer, by the way. Sounds very exciting. <laughs> Makes the story sound epic. It does, yeah. It's Maybe needed. it is. Let's find it's out. Need, it's, it needs a trailer like that, for sure. <laughs> the TARDIS has been destroyed. Anyway, Frontios was first broadcast. It's a, this is a four-parter. It was first broadcast back on the 3rd of February, 1984, and finished mm. up on the 26th of February. Of, 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 that's incorrect, isn't it? It was first broadcast on the 26th of January, 1984, and finished up, thankfully, for all of the people who are in a relationship at the time, who were in a relationship at the time, fearing for their lives that Valentine's Day would have been a Doctor Who fest. It finished <laughs> before that, on the 3rd of February, 1984. Wow. It was written by Christopher Bidmead, directed by Ron Jones, and stars Peter Davison, Janet Fielding, uh, Mark Strickson. And a reasonable supporting cast. And the synopsis for this one is Frontios buries its own dead. Or so the saying goes. The Doctor, Turlow and Tegan are forced into landing on the remote planet of Frontios, a human colony where deaths go unaccounted for. Under constant threat from lethal meteorite bombardments, few of the doomed colony members realise that the ground of Frontios itself opens up and devours the unwary. Not permitted to assist, the Doctor's attempt to leave it thwarted to leave is thwarted when the unimaginable occurs, the TARDIS is destroyed. All mm. the while, burrowing undetected below the planet's crust, an alien force prepares a final and gruesome fate for all humanity. It all sounds very epic. It epic does. And, and uh, big, adventurous. Mm. So what say you on the front of your dude? What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a funny one, this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny, it's, a, <laughs> it's an odd little story, this one. Um, it sticks with me for so many reasons that, I'm, that I'll, I'll go into, but it, there are so many things I like about it, <laughs> but it doesn't really hang together. Um, and I, I do get quite bored in the middle. Um, there's so much running around the cave and going back and forth and getting dragged in by tractators and then escaping and getting dragged in and... It plods on in the middle, but it's a shame because it starts off really strong, I think. I think episode one's great, actually. When I put it on last night, having not watched this for quite some time, 
uh, once I finished episode one, I thought, actually, mate, maybe this is going to be better than I thought. That's, that's quite a good start, you know. The TARDIS lands, you've got a bit of world building, which is quite decent. You've got um, this unusual looking planet. It's dark and grimy, which is unlike 80s Who, so it feels a bit gritty. You've got these sort of explosions where bits of rock are being shot across the screen. You've got the Doctor jumping in and saving someone and saying, these, you know, you're not to let them know I was here. And I thought, that's, that's some actually really good stuff going on here um then episode two it kind of starts getting a bit ploddy when we meet the tractators tractators and then yeah it plods on a bit after then and they throw some interesting stuff in there and then we get the sort of conclusion which is a bit unsatisfying um and yeah it's a shame because it just pitters out really and i feel it was a bit i feel the script was just too ambitious for the budget of 80s doctor who and i I feel like there's some great elements i think chris bismead has put some fascinating ideas in there i mean i absolutely love the idea of the tardis being fragmented under the earth Uh, that's the bit that stuck with me since i was a kid i absolutely loved that when i was a child and i and i still love it now i just kind of wish they'd brought it in a little bit earlier because it's literally at the end of the story and I find the end scene weirdly directed as well because the story is quite, it's trying to be quite dark and gritty, I feel, for the most of it. Then you get the end scene where Davidson's almost playing it for comedic effect. He's like, oh no, Gravis, please, don't <laughs> do not do that, don't touch that dial. And then you've got Gravis whirring around, oh, I will have it. And, he, and then he slumps on the console and it's just, it, it's, it's just funny more than it's it's yeah it's just comedic and i think it's an odd tone compared to the rest of the episode so yeah it's it's an odd one mate there are so many things i like about it um you know and i think it's an ambitious story but it doesn't hold together unfortunately it, it it's got great potential that isn't realized and i think the reasons for that are are mainly down to budget and probably the times, you know, the timing. I mean, we they were under great pressure to get this filmed in six days, and they talk about it on the making of that there are scenes where, <laughs> I mean, I hadn't noticed them until they point them out, but there's scenes where Turlo says, we, we react to an explosion that you don't see because the cannon didn't go off. And they're like, it's fine, carry on, don't, <laughs> don't worry about it, we'll sort out, we'll put a sound effect on. And they're like, okay, and there's a bit where the guy falls backwards and put his, puts his foot through the set. Uh, which I hadn't noticed, and apparently he said at the time, should we do that again? They're like, no, 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 that's fine. No one's going to notice, and I I didn't, to be fair. So, yeah, they were very much against the clock. I think that probably hasn't helped as well. So, But, yeah, yeah. I I like it, but it's not good. Does that make sense? Like, I like like what the idea, I like the ambition behind it, but it doesn't hold together very well, and I find myself getting very bored um, in the middle of it and yeah i like the beginning and end and that's about it really mm-hmm. gotcha so, yeah gotcha yeah what about you hmm. yeah it's boring isn't it? It, it it is it does get boring did you not think ep one was good though because i really liked episode one it was very or were cool. you bored from the yeah. beginning no 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 episode one was very cool yeah davo's great in mm. it isn't he i thought he was really good yeah and it's a it's a it's a strange old one this because more often than not when we have a story that's a bit slow and ploddy and if we ever use the word boring for some stories you normally find that it picks up in the finale yeah whereas (laughs) this one doesn't for me because all the stuff that you have in the finale bar the bit where 
the TARDIS is coming back together a little bit. Other than that bit, the, the, the things that are happening predominantly in episode four, we've already seen in the past two episodes where, like you said, there's a lot of running around corridors in the, you know, underground running away from the tractators and then they get captured and then you get rescued and you run. So that happens an awful lot. But then you would think that in the last episode, they'd stop doing that and they would build up and have something else. But it's not, it's really only the last 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes of that episode where the doctor tricks, um, tricks him into, you know, firing up a couple of bits in the TARDIS. It comes back together and then he's, he sort of flops unceremoniously onto the console and you know and so you have this sort of comedic little anticlimactic bit at the end and that's it really it it, it kind of ends very much as it starts which is cool it comes full circle so Mm. um the guy that um who's seemingly in charge on frontios um you know the guy that um mysteriously just passes out a lot <laughs> yeah uh he's got a weird name in it plag tank net or something is it y- yeah yes you mean him yeah plantagenet um yeah uh he's like mega friendly with the doctor at the end you know and they're all having a chat and mm. it's quite comical in a way and the, the doctor leaves him the coat stand and oh yeah that you know, coat stand, and yeah. uh and then they're off so it, it's got a nice kind of isolated little feel to it and he leaves the planet you know, in a much better way as you would expect him to have done. And uh, although the time, you know, he's fearful of the time Lords knowing that he's interfered with any kind of human stuff. So Mm. he's like, you know, he's basically saying, you know, make sure you don't mention this to anyone, which is ridiculous really. Cause you know, the entire planet knows that, mysterious travel travelers turned up in a blue box to say you know. yeah so, he does it every week i mean yeah yeah but the problem is is the bit in between like as soon as you get past episode one mm. the other episodes are very oh just very ploddy there's not even very oh i hate saying it but there's not even any nice little moments you know in some stories when it's as i mentioned when it slows down a bit mm. sometimes you have these lovely little scenes with characters who have a conversation especially the doctor with somebody and but you don't even really get much of much of that it's just a lot of running around and shouting and um especially especially from mark strickson in this one i mean turlo i don't know what they how what they were thinking when they wrote his character but he just gets slapped around all over the place he doesn't really (laughs) you know he's he he loses his loses the plot for a little bit when he first sees the tractators and he's out of it and he's in a trance and he's wide-eyed and foaming at the mouth yeah they're trying to snap him out of it and he's not having it and then the next time we see him in the in the cave underground he's yelling his face off and then he faints again and then he have to carry him around <laughs> so <laughs> like you know for him like the doctor doesn't even slow things down um it's not written for him to slow it down and just have a nice conversation with Turlo and give him a little bit of a confidence boost and like dude you know everything's fine you know we're gonna mm. <laughs> gonna get through it he's just happy for him to just be flailing all over the place and um we don't even get too much of a bite back from tegan with the doctor either there's a a couple of bits where she's snappy with him but there was yeah. the perfect opportunity for um for uh for chris bidme to write a beautiful tirade of abuse there's a bit where the doctor basically says to the tractators, um, 
she's an android. She's a robot, you know? And yeah. and he's like, oh, well, it's uh, very convincing, um, you know? And uh, he's like, yeah, it's, you know, they've got it down apart from the walk. She walks a bit funny. And you can see her seething, like her eyes are wide and she's, she's angry that was the first opportunity to have one of those absolutely brilliant classic tegan like just going off on one yeah because he says the accent's not quite yeah. right <laughs> yeah. the accent's not quite right that did make and, me laugh yeah. yeah and the walks not they haven't really got the walk right basically <laughs> saying that she's you know she's a bit of an idiot and um and and, and gravis is like ah, oh, he's bought into it he's like okay cool but then the next time you see the Tegan and Doctor alone, the Tegan, the Doctor and Tegan alone, <laughs> she's just all cool with it. She's like, oh, well, well what do we do? Yeah. Let's, let's carry on. So it just seems a bit out of whack. And the thing that I can't get my head around as well is um, at the time when this was going out and Davison was being interviewed and the cast and everything, um, Davison had said that um, he really liked this story. And Did he? Tegan right. and Matt Strickson had all said that this is one of their favourite stories of the Fifth Doctor's run, and um, right. and Davison had, had said that he was really happy that they had finally, quote unquote, uh, got hold of how he saw this part of the Doctor and how he wanted to play the Doctor. And Strickson had said that it was clever and frightening and gave him a chance to do some real acting, quote unquote, <laughs> and all that stuff. And then you fast forward in time to the DVD commentary. And Davison and Eric Sayward are like, this is beep. Um, the story oh. could have been a two-parter and it's boring and all the rest of it. So within hindsight, even Davison comes around to the notion that it's a bit, <laughs> it's, a bit um, <laughs> it's a bit, rubbish. So it, it's a funny old story, like you said, isn't it? Because from a classic Who perspective, it's got some good ingredients. You know, it's got, yeah. you know, it's got the the alien threat under the ground which they've done a few times in who at this point and they continue to do that into even the silurian concept you know in modern who and all the rest of it it's got some very cool set design and the costumes are good you'd love that you must love the 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 uh Security forces costumes, mate, straight out of Blake Seven. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, let's just dig those old Blake Seven costumes out, and no one will notice. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah. Federation troops from Blake Seven. Yeah, so, you know, so it's got all some. It's got some great old school sci-fi. Also, we say old school. You know, we're not talking sixties, seventies classic, but we are mm. talking sort of mid eighties. So it's all there, but it just doesn't quite. I don't know. It's like you've got all the great ingredients to make a, a lovely cake. But it comes out just sunken and burnt. And yeah, that's right. Not yeah. quite edible. When you taste it, it's just a bit. Um, <laughs> it's a weird analogy, you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah, do. what do yeah. you think to the tractators? Let's get through some of the, the core elements. <laughs> and as, as an alien, as a threat, as a monster, the giant wood lice. What do you reckon? The the, the problem is they 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 look so rubbery. <laughs> like I bet the drawing of them probably looked quite interesting. You know, like in concept, they probably looked good on paper, but. Uh, you know they are like the classic rubbery Doctor Who monster, and you—they're so badly shot. You know the the director, I, I think, has got to take a bit of blame for this story not being Ron as Jones. good as it maybe could. Yeah, yeah, sorry to say. I mean, the way he shoots the sets as well, which are actually—I think the sets are pretty decent for for eighties Who. I think the sets are great actually. The planet, the spaceship, but the way they're shot. I mean, that bit where they walk out on the spaceship and it's just a white 
I think it's supposed to be the sky, is it? I mean, it just it is, looks yeah. so overlit, and it's you know, I have to say the director is a got to take a bit of blame for this. Although apparently he was a lovely guy, uh, they all say that on the making of. But even they said he didn't quite get the story. But going back to the Tractators, yeah, I mean they're they're so badly shot, you can see them, you can almost see the shoot feet of the actors underneath the rubbery <laughs> suits, can't you? They're yeah. almost sort of an, an inch off the floor, <laughs> and you can see the bottom of the costume just, you know, waving about and stuff. So yeah, they they. They don't look great on screen. I don't think there's any shot that, that looks great. The only thing I can say in their defence is that going back to when I was a kid that I did, I loved them. Uh, I think that's why this story stays in my head because I just found them creepy and fascinating. But yeah, uh, I'm going to put that down to being very young when I watch this because I look at them now and they look terrible. And when one of them's getting beaten up, the poor thing, and they're hitting it and you can hear the rubbery suit and they're really trying not to hit it as well it's yeah they don't look great yeah they don't look great and also when jarvis is doing his thing at the end where he's going oh in the tardis and moving his arms around because they're so restricted with their arms aren't they having those little arms just makes them so i mean what could they actually do to you i suppose they've got the tractor beam that's a nice thing you know that they could use that but otherwise they're not that scary really no, it's true. They're a little mm. bit... What do you think of the design mm. of them? Do you like them at all, or do you think they look awful? No, I think they look ridiculous, mate. I think yeah. they, they, could have <laughs> looked, little... um, they could have looked pretty sweet, but the the problem mm. I have with them is that, uh, you're right, it's the arms, you know, that's... Yeah. So, I guess that's part of the design, though, right? They're not physically... No, I don't think they're designed to, like, rough people up physically. They use the tractor beam ability, mm. you know, that, that thing to... To, to freeze people and, and all that stuff. There's that brilliant scene, isn't there, when they turn, one of them turns on, on Turlo and he starts to be dragged over the rock. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so that part of it's very cool, but I don't know why they put massive ears on them. Yeah, they have, haven't they? Could so if you, look, <laughs> <laughs> if you look at them, if you look at them from the front, um, it's not it's not a flattering uh, view. They have, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know why they did that. So they've got like this. Um, they've got like this cool menacing insectoid kind of thing going on. It's kind of cool, but then they've got these massive ears. They almost look. Who was that um, puppet from the eighties on British TV that had the big ears? Um, what was his name? I can't remember. The, uh, anyway, there was a, a children's TV character. He had a, like <clears throat> oh, a bubble hat. Oh, I think I do on. know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Bod. Was it Bod? No, no, no not Bod. Uh, no. Someone like that, anyway. You'll know who I mean. Any, any UK uh, listener that was born in the 70s or 80s will know. But for some reason, whenever they made um, modern versions of these, like the Robert Harrop uh, version of this figure, mm. for some reason they made the ears bigger. So Bigger? Yeah, the ears look huge on them. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the thing that makes it very comical for me. Yeah, they've got like these big the hands. Roland rat ears on the side of these tracks. So yeah, not is terrible. There, is, there, is there any way they could have made them <clears throat> look good on screen? Do you think? Is there any? Because I was wondering mm-hmm. if maybe they'd shot them a bit closer up, or even if they'd have added some sort of water or slime to them to make them look a bit gross. But they look so plasticky. I think they're not plasticky. Mm. They look so rubbery. I think that's the thing. They're so 
when they're in shot, they're very often in shot as the whole body. So you can see, as I said, you can just see it. It's just a man in a big rubbery suit. But do you think Mm. there's any way they could have shot them to make them look good? Uh, Maybe if they were in the dark. I mean, it's quite, to be fair, the the sets in that are quite dark and dimly lit, which is unusual for Doctor Who at this time. Which, But even then, I think they still look a bit exposed in the outfit. So... Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it does it does go off course a little bit with the direction. So that's one good thing, mm. is that it's not just a fully lit scene or set, should I say. Mm. You know, if it just whacked every light on that they could find. There are, you know, some of the scenes, especially underground with the tractators, are, uh, are fairly dark and, and stuff like that, which is why, in contrast, you can, it really highlights how, how iffy they look when... Um, when uh, what's his face ends up in the TARDIS at the very end, because yeah, that Gravis. Gravis, yeah, the TARDIS set is so bright as you would expect, yeah. And so that highlights. I mean, for the first time, you could see just how much um, fur was coming out of the sort of plates on the back of it, mm. um, which you didn't really see. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure much of that it could have done. I mean, for me, what they should have, mm, I don't know. It's the whole walking sleeping bag thing as well that doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If they'd have made yeah. them more humanoid, which I don't know, I don't know. It's it's, it's very difficult to criticise when the designers on this stuff were, you know, trying to do a great job. So it's hard what, to criticise, but yeah. What I find weird is Ron Jones has kind of, I think, shot them quite badly, and then you get their funny. What's that machine called? The X excavating machine or whatever it is that that's got the human in it you know that weird uh, oh. machine that they're using and it's got that guy uh, with all the wires around him and stuff and I, I again as a kid found that so creepy and it's very tightly shot so you only see the front of it the excavating machine mm. with all the blades around the edge and stuff i thought that is a creepy thing now, I saw a, a, a photo, so this, they always do the photo galleries on the DVD, and you see the, the side of that in the photo, which you never see on screen. Mm. Apparently, they thought it looked awful, but it looks pretty good in the photo. So in, at the side of that, it's, it's quite a long machine, and it's got two humans uh, at the side of it, like two co- torsos plugged into it. I think it looks really creepy and horrible, and I'm... I'm very surprised they didn't show that at all on screen, or at least I didn't notice it, because I think they felt, according to the making of documentary, that it looked so bad that the director tried to shoot it from a way that just showed the guy at the front and and made it look better. Um, but I don't yeah. know. I think yeah. that that was a, such a wasted opportunity because, judging by the photos and the little outtake they've got, um, it's a shame we don't see that. It's just very creepy having these two just tops of two two bodies in the side of it if you like two two uh torsos yeah um can yep. say yeah i don't know what, what was going on i think the directional choices are a bit questionable in this I, just overall really yeah i read you do so i think ron jones um yeah he's not he wasn't really doctor who was his first job as a director mm, yeah and he had kind of found his feet a little bit because he'd done some stories before this so black orchid time flight arc of infinity mm. before frontios and then he did two after that um vengeance on varos and mind warp so but the problem is he had no experience prior to that with, with uh, unless you count those few stories from doctor who so he actually um he was just a production manager before that 
and the research right. on things like Blue Peter and um, he was production manager on Bergerac of all things before that. <laughs> um, but he did like an internal thing. So the BBC were, were crying out for directors. So he did the BBC's own internal director's course. <laughs> um, so he did that. And when he finished, they were like, so do you want to do Doctor Who? <laughs> so he's like, oh, of course. So he's fresh into the whole world of, of mm-hmm. directing. So, and I think as a result, you you kind of get these these moments in a story because it happens in Black Orchid a lot, which is understandable I think for that one because that was his first his first outing as a director where you have these scenes where the framing doesn't quite look as it should. Hmm. So I think maybe the camera operators or the cinematography like they're having conversations about how to frame something. And I think he's he's like, well, we need to get in tighter, get in tighter. And so as a result of that, you lose some of the detail that's at the edges of the set a little bit and what's going on, mm. which I think is what's happening with the the excavation machine. And and especially in the TARDIS, the TARDIS feels really claustrophobic yeah. when they're filming those scenes. I mean, normally when you see the centre console and they're standing around it, you're normally framing that a little bit wider. Mm. So you can see that, it. I think... It's like a. It's almost an illusion that you want to put across to the viewer, where when you're outside of the TARDIS, you're looking at this very small box, obviously, and then when you go inside the TARDIS, it's this big, well, quite a large room and expanse. Um, but it, it, for when he's framing that, the centre console is quite large in the middle of the screen, and then you've got the actors who are quite tight around it, and it does. And so I think for that reason alone. It happens a lot as well in the outside, supposedly the outside bits as well, mm. where everything's very sh- contained, small, um, and it provides um, a little bit of claustrophobia. Now, artistically, you could argue that that's intentional and that provides a little bit of tension for, mm. as the you know as you're watching it. However, it it just it, you sacrifice some of the cool stuff that's been designed that you don't quite see. Yeah. in in the shot so um yeah just to caveat this of course we're no we're not directors we're not experts but it just feels that way as you're watching through some of his stories you know especially black orchid as well it's the same with that mm. i think that davison and um eric say would do do kind of say that on the making of as well so i don't think yeah although you know like you said we're not directors i think they they also point out that um, he wasn't that experienced and Peter Davison said something along the lines of, you know, there were shots where he just basically sort of, you know, like we often say, just pointed the camera and said, that's that's good enough sort of thing and right. uh, very much against the clock. Um, but, you know, Davison said he was such a lovely man. He says, you know, he hates to say anything bad against him because he was a very nice person to work with and he created a, a great atmosphere on set. But he was still sort of learning his trade and he, you know, didn't really sort of quite get a grip of how to shoot it. And Eric Sayward, who's a bit more blunt, um, <laughs> what does he say? He says he was a a very nice man. But um what was it Eric said? Um I can't remember. Oh, something about being, you know, uh, too nice that no you know he people just walked all over him basically he should have stood his ground more or something i don't right. know yeah. so you get the feeling that yeah he was probably created a nice atmosphere it was fun to go to work but didn't really get the best results on screen i think that's what yeah. if you put what eric and peter are saying together that's what they're trying to get at. Mm-hmm. yeah and you can see that there's a little bit of an experience in just um the way that he's got some of the 
the crew members to sort of action stuff around the set as well. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. somebody puts their foot through the set, and there's a bit right <laughs> at the beginning as well. So um, when Revere is is laying on the ground and all the gravel around him, and you see these mm-hmm. little holes appear in the the ground around him, there's um there's a scene where it's either the the crew member's hands, their fingers. Yeah, it's all fingers. Yeah, um, but they're wearing bright red gloves. I, so, I noticed. I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he's popping his hand up to sort of, you know, help the gravel sort of slip down into this hole that they've created underneath the the set floor. Yeah. Um, but as a director, he's not picking up on that stuff. You know, he's like, because if it was like a little tiny bit, like if the if the crew member had black or brown gloves on, and it was very very difficult to see. You could kind of get away with it because you see that sort of stuff in Who all the time, like the boom mic pops into frame sometimes and yeah. all that stuff. You see like the shadow on the ground of like camera opera, you know, all that stuff. But the fact that they had bright red gloves on, you don't even have to look at the playback afterwards to notice it. You surely looking through the camera or anybody could see these fingers poking up through the ground. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's that little, those little bits where as a more experienced director would have been like, whoa, 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 stop, stop. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? We can see these bright red bloody fingers coming up. Reset this, you know, but he just bright goes red marigolds. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, bless him. Ron Jones, you know, we've had to his credit, we've had stories that have been directed a, a worse than this. Oh yes. Yeah, it's, it's not by, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so, not the worst by a long shot. No. Yeah. So, yeah. So Ron, you know, while you're not, uh, up in our, you know, favourite stories in terms of direction, we've seen worse, buddy. So, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so production-wise, yeah, it's a little bit iffy in places. Story-wise, it's fairly simplistic. Aliens underneath the Earth—they want the planet back. Humans don't want to give it up, so they've got this plan to to, to kill them all, essentially. Um, so that's fairly simplistic. Some cast members then, which are pretty sweet. What did you think? T- so the guy. Um, that we first see um chief brazen what a dude that was eh so brazen <laughs> played by peter gilmore yeah. um he's chewing the word isn't he he is he, i feel like you know when people say they they seem like they're in a different production to everybody else <laughs> that's pretty much how i would describe him i yeah. <laughs> kudos for giving it a bit of gu- gusto, <laughs> is that the word? You yeah. know, I can chat. I can tell he's going for a bit of a performance here and, and giving it something. But um, yeah, doesn't mm. quite fit in with everyone else's acting. I don't know. Yeah, he's a bit um, unintentionally funny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, he's very comical in the way he delivers his lines. He's almost like he wants everyone to stop what they're doing to appreciate the grand delivery. Yes, is it grand delivery? Yeah, yeah. it's almost um, it's almost Shakespearean Mm. in the way that he he sort of creates his space around him. You know, he sort of puts his hands on his hips and he creates space, and then he wants silence (laughs) while he's delivering his lines. And yeah, and because of that, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Because of that, it kind of throws the pacing out a little bit. So there's a few scenes where. Um, you know, he's roughing up Tegan because she's discovered the, you know, the the filing cabinet drawer, which is just unlocked <laughs> for everybody yeah. to see the unaccounted deaths and all that stuff. He's roughing her up a little bit. And there's a scene where they're in the tunnels and he's trying to, um, 
he's trying to locate um, Plantagenet and, you know, and he's very up in your face and shouting, but because he wants to have that sort of on-screen presence where he's, you know, he's being very theatrical, he he almost subconsciously creates this silence before and after his lines. So nobody can sort of jump in and have this sort of very quick to and throw because tensions are high. He sort of, I don't know, he just creates this air of like, I'm speaking for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I've delivered my line. Now you, you know, and everybody can sort of get back into the rhythm and stuff. So um, obviously yeah, a lovely it? guy, but yeah, he, it just throws the pacing and the rhythm out just a wee bit. <laughs> very theatrical i was just thinking yeah. if you ever got him and michael robbins you know uh, richard michael mace robbins. from visitation yep. if you ever got him and michael robbins in a production <laughs> together no one would would get a word in would they <laughs> it would be it'd be the theatrical farce of the year i think yes. but yeah it's yeah. it's fun to have him in it but it's just i don't know yeah something about his performance is just like you said just chewing the scenery to bits yeah um, definitely yeah the problem is is that he wasn't in zed cars so <laughs> That's your issue there, mate. Well, that's why, yeah, he needed to be on that to ground him. Indeedy, yeah. yeah. Although he was in a couple of carry-on films, so we'll let him off. Oh, was he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, what did you think to, um, who was the old the old guy with the glasses and his daughter was a bit naughty, leading the revolution? Uh, yeah, um, I that, quite liked him. Uh, is that Range? Range, was William it? Lucas, yes. Yes, yeah. Range. Yeah, I quite liked him, you know. I felt like he was taking it quite seriously and... Yeah, I think he kind of suited the part. Hmm. He was um, he was playing it quite serious, wasn't he? And most people were, to be fair, other than the supporting crew uh, cast members. You know, the guys that were just knocking around in the helmets and the stuff. The ones that get into a bit of a fight, but it's such a weak fight. Those ones. The ones. Yeah. There's yeah, a scene yeah. where they over, they're sort of overpowering the tractators. And instead of using their weapons, as you'd expect, they just start thumping them on the back yeah <laughs> you know but they're doing it in such a lackluster like oh pain that we're inflicting on the tractate <laughs> just like come on so apart from those guys who were just in it because they're being paid as supporting actors yeah. um, the majority of the crew are pretty good but yes uh, william lucas was fairly good and then his daughter i've seen her in something oh loads when i was growing um, up a couple of series what was her name um oh she was in lots of things wasn't she was she, she was in, was it may to december what was her blimmin name <laughs> what trust was us name? not to know her name um i want to say leslie dunlop but i'm not sure if that is her uh you might be right um hold on let's have a wee looky but you I, her you know i thought her and his performance both of their performances i just really liked them in it they did definitely bring something to it when i was getting a bit bored um yeah yeah she was um I'm, i've definitely seen her in plenty of things um because she was in may to up. december is what i always think of do you remember yes, that 80s yeah. comedy yeah so yeah i think it's leslie dunlop is the uh i think the right, actor's dude. name and yeah the character name was norma norma, norma. yes norma. but she'd got a bit of you know go to it you know when she was confronted at the end and she she does stand up for herself i thought she was quite a good character and maybe should have been used a bit more if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. The character yeah. of um, the uh, uh, range that we just talked about, so that he stepped in quite late in production, didn't he? Because the original actor who was going to play it um, was murdered um, just before 
Mm. They started recording. So he was quite a late addition, I think. I, I can't remember who the original actor was that was going to play the part of Peter Rage. Peter was going to play Peter Arm, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, but he went for a fitting for the costume for this this story and then went home and was um, stabbed to death or something. Bludgeoned, yeah. Bludgeoned to death, yeah. And so, yeah, this. so then um, he had to step in uh, quite late in the day, I think, William Lucas. He did, yeah, he stepped in and so... Uh, he was actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was quite good. Yeah. yeah, he was like the um he was almost like the uh the calming voice of everything that was going on. So mm. you had um you had uh what's the character's name? Plantagenet. Such a cool name. He yeah, was, it is a good name, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so him and Brazen, they were very much like uh as they've done countless times, like the doctor's bad. Like he's turned up, bad things are happening, we don't know who you are you know, you must be eliminated immediately. That kind of attitude. Whereas Range was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I I feel like the doctor's here to help. He's helped all these sick people. He doesn't seem threatening. You know, let's let's give him a go. So he was, he the way he played that was very cool, I thought. Yeah. The voice yeah. of reason almost. Um, and then what about Plantagenet? So uh, old Jeff Rawl, who's been in bloody loads, loads of stuff, of stuff yeah. hasn't he? Across yeah. his career. Um, any of our younger listeners will know him um, probably from Harry Potter, who played... Um, of course, yeah. Uh, what's his name's dad? Old R. Patsy's character. Uh, I don't know, his, I'm not really a Potter. Uh, uh, Cedric Diggory's dad, Amos, uh, Amos Diggory, in The mm. Goblet of Fire and stuff. So you put, young fans will know him as that, but he's been in bloody hell. He's got a good CV, hasn't Cunt, he? I'm yeah. looking at his list of of stuff now on wikipedia gosh he's done loads and yeah. he is just one of those faces i think you just recognize instantly isn't he he's so young in this isn't he yes he's he is so yeah because he's 71 now yeah, yeah he looks so young and thin young and slim now he's you know mm. he's a comfortable old guy and uh just thinking if he's yeah. 71 how old's davison davison's 71 <gasps> don't mm. think of davison being 71 do you you'll still think of him as being young yeah that's, yeah 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 uh, hold on a minute. He was in an episode of Steptoe and Son. Was oh, he? they recreated a bunch of episodes, didn't they, years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes that's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's still working today. Yep, so year before yeah. last, he was in The Canterville Ghost. Year before that, Father Brown, and then Peter Lou, Holby City. Still rocking and rolling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But his character was very intense at times, you know, very much... Uh, very much... Um, uh, in the doctor's face, trying to retain control, basically trying to get across to the doctor. Like if he goes, he's like the leader of the human colony, if you like, up against the mm. tractators. And um, if he goes missing or is declared dead, then that's like a leadership crisis and everyone's going to riot and go mad. So he's trying to retain control, but can't quite do it because of some problem. What's the, I didn't get my head around that. What was the, the issue that he had with his heart or something? He just kept passing out and, no, I didn't get it Over either. nothing. There was a bit where he was going to whack Turlo with the crowbar. Mm. <laughs> he was going to slap him on the back of the head, but then he yeah. he faints like halfway through and then he has to get the old uh, defibrillator out and they bring him back to life. But I don't know, there was something wrong with him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, very intense at times, but also really likeable at the end. If only he was like that in the beginning and stuff, because at the end, he's so likeable. And I mm. think that's just... Um, I think that's just Jeff Rawl, just being a real likable, nice guy. Coming through. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, he was cool, though. I, I didn't mind his character. 
Yeah, no, he was good. I like you liked when he was trapped in that funny ball thing that the tractators had him in, <laughs> and then they try and put him in the in the excavation machine. Uh, oh gosh, that was funny when um, when uh, the other guy gets in it. Um, oh, yeah. Who we were just Brazen, talking about yeah. range. No, not range. Sorry, brazen. Brazen. Yeah. When he gets in it, and he's <laughs> kind of forced himself to be, pretend to be pulled in by, and he's like, "Leave me, save yourselves." <laughs> I finished so my line. Top. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great Amazing. Scene. Yeah. But uh, but yes, no. Sorry, back to Jeff Roll. Yes, he was. He was good at it. Like you said, I, yeah. We'd like to see a bit more of. Um, the nicer side at the end because it takes yeah. him a long time to trust the doctor. I mean, the doctor saves his blimmin' life and he's still wary of him. A couple of times, you know. yeah, saves him. Yes. And, yep. Yeah, grateful so and so. Distrusting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, right, let's get to the TARDIS team. Yes. Let's get Tegan out of the way. Um, mm. Janet Fielding, because she, it's one of those stories where if this was a video game, she would just be one of those side characters that pops up now and then to do a little side quest with not much substance did yeah. you feel like she had a good one in this story because i not at all no because no. when i've the couple of times that i've seen this now when i finished watching it i thought other than just sending her off to go and look for something a couple of times she doesn't really have a great deal to do bless her does she no, she really doesn't. The, the only good thing she, she really gets to do is throw the lamp at the tractators to save the Doctor at the start of episode two. That's it. So the only time she really gets stuck in. It's a, And it's a penultimate story as well. She leaves in the next story, so it's mm. a shame, isn't it, that she doesn't yeah. sort of um, get to do much in this one. Yeah, she's cool, though. She is Janet Fielding. She is... She's awesome, isn't she, as Tegan? We know, we know yeah. that. But oh, yeah, she's, she's great. Nothing she's just, wrong yeah. with performance, yeah. Yeah, just wasn't written... She's, she just doesn't get much to do. Not enough, yeah. So, uh, and then Ma- uh, Mark Strickson, I struggle with with Strickson in in this one as Turlo <laughs> because, and this is no disrespect to to Mark Strickson at all, mm-hmm. because I think he's quite happy with his performance in this, and he says in one of his interviews back in the day that he got the the chance to sort of flex his muscles a little bit and do some some proper acting, as he put it, and so on. But I can't get my head around what he's up to what was this what was the reason why he freaked out so much when he first saw the tractators because him and tegan go off you know they're exploring they're doing their thing and he comes back out of where he sees the tractators and he's in some sort of trance mm. you know and he can't snap out of it and he, i don't know he's like sweating all over the place and but why why was he like that why did he go into that kind of trance when he saw them I don't know. I don't know why he's got this tract traitor trauma. It's just weird, isn't it? it really, is if he'd, if we found out later that you know one of his family had died to, uh, at the hands of a tract traitor, can't say it. But you know what I mean. There, <laughs> there, there isn't enough. It's like they give him this little backstory, but it doesn't really make sense in the terms of why it affects him so much. Unless there's more to it that we don't know. In which case, why do it in the first place? So yeah, I, I don't get why he's so flipped out by seeing the tractators i don't know um i mean the flip side of that is it is nice to see turlo get something else to do other than wander around buttoning up his jacket because poor old turlo i mean he (laughs) he's such an odd character that i really don't think writers knew what to do with him in many stories so it's weird that 
he does act like that in this story, but on the other hand, it's just nice to see him doing something else. I think that's why Mark Strickson likes it, because he finally had something to do, because he, he, they rarely know what to do with Turlow as a character, do they? The yeah. writers, you yeah. know, he just wanders around. If he's not trying to kill the Doctor, then he's he's just sort of wandering around doing his um doing his jacket up. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's good to see him get something to do, but the reason for it is not very clear. Yeah. So... Because there's a bit, isn't he, where he's before he even sees them, he hears the word tractators, and he's like, "I've he's heard it before." Yeah. So there's something that's kind of triggered in his mind somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's anyway. Strixon himself, I, I don't think he's he's bad as Turlow. He's playing it consistently as you'd expect. But mm. I don't know. It's again. I think it's down to Chris Bidmead, which is a shame that instead of giving him something of value to contribute in a lot of scenes he just mm. writes him as just this this emotional mess that just has to be carried around a lot and um and be rescued every five minutes it seems and yeah so yeah i mean it's a funny one i think you're right i think i think turlo turlo as a character can be quite tricky to write for because of his initial motive for being in the tardis team in the first place which is spoilers you know for anyone not in the in this era who's seen it but it's essentially to kill the doctor right he's been planted yeah. in the tardis team by the master to kill the doctor which is a the really black guardian yeah the black sorry the black guardian sorry yeah which is a great concept and a really good idea but once you get past that there's not much else really you know what i mean to, to there's no meat on the bones after that mm. anyway we've used a lot of analogies in this episode dude I know, we have, yeah. yeah. Um, mad. And lastly then, Mr. Davison. Yes. Um, what do you think is his performance? Because according to him at the time, he was pretty rocking and rolling with this script, didn't mind it. But then in hindsight, on the commentary, he's like, yeah, this is pretty mediocre. We could have done this in two parts. Not that great. Mm. You know, he wasn't really happy with it. But I think he's pretty cool in this one. I, I, I think he's very good. Now. I, hmm. I, uh, he's one of the highlights of the story, I think. he Because he does seem to have, like we said before, Davison definitely seems to find a bit more fire in his belly as the Doctor in his last series. Is this the last series? It must be. Um, um, in his last series, yeah, I mean. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yes, I feel that. I feel that he's... I, I, there is a definite difference in the way he's playing the Doctor, and it's quite subtle, but it's definitely there. Um, you know, like the scene when he first goes in and, and helps heal the um, the dying man. And, the, you know, he's telling mm. him basically they've got to do it themselves. And he's like, and you didn't see me. I've, what did he say? I came and went like the summer cloud. And the way he delivers the line. And there's definitely a subtle shift in the way he's playing the Fifth Doctor. It's got more of a hardened edge to it. Not so fluffy five that we've had in his first and, and probably second series. So, yeah, I like him in this. I feel, apart from the end scene, when he's being comical with Gravis, and I'm going to put that down to the direction more than Davison, um, I do really like his performance in this. Because uh, mm. he hasn't got a lot to work with, to be honest with you, but what he has got, I think he really makes the most of it. Yeah, so, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah I feel there's a, a, a bit more intensity Mm-hmm. to his performance um which i really like i wish we'd seen more of of his doctor like that because obviously by the time we get to caves in a few stories time he's really ramped up that intensity so i think it's really started to build quite nicely by this story yes yeah i'd agree with that there's some scenes yeah. where he is quite intense and 
he he has a little bit of range as well where um he, when he's unhappy with somebody he he's got that look about him but instead of shouting like maybe tom baker's doctor would do or something like that mm. he almost goes quieter which is even more unnerving at times when he does that and then he's also got the usual kind of um just like uh, what's the word like when we we spoke earlier about um uh plantagenet not trusting him for ages he's almost yeah. got this exasperated kind of what's wrong with you man like can't yeah. you see what's going on and you know i'm trying to help and all the rest of it so he's got that very cool and then at the end when the gravis is in the tardis and um, he knows that by separating the Gravis from the other tractators, that's going to render them useless, essentially. So he, he knows that in order to do that, he needs to trick the Gravis into activating some of the controls. So he's kind of playing a bit dumb. He's like, oh, no. Don't, don't press that button. Yeah, don't do that <laughs> bit. And, oh, God, you mustn't press that. Um, so, yeah, I think he had a decent range in this one. He had a, a, some, some sweet scenes and, um, yeah, and just was pretty sweet as the Doctor. I mean... Uh, there's been a couple of stories like the one that we the story before this The Awakening mm. um, I felt that he was a little bit flat in some of that and you almost wanted to shake him and wake him up a little bit but yeah. I, I felt the opposite to this one I felt like he's alive a little bit more and yeah pretty good I, I felt he was into the story which we often yeah. say with Davison that sometimes you can just tell maybe The Awakening being an example he's not really feeling the story but even though this one isn't particularly good, he must have seen something in the script that he liked because I feel like he is giving like that extra sort of 10% uh, in his performance. Um, so, yeah, maybe at the time he just saw something in it and thought this could be good and then over time he's just realised that it didn't translate well to screen. But he's definitely given a bit more, I feel, in this one. I would agree. Yeah. yeah I would agree. Um, okay, and then just very lastly, I've got nothing on my notes other than um old paddy kingsland uh, <laughs> has discovered the pan pipes synth sound yes for this story it's all over the place and just doesn't suit it at all for me um i don't know it's got this kind of weird um i, I don't know it's got this organic kind of feel to it which is cool but it just doesn't seem to suit the tone of the story there's no menace to the soundtrack and there's not much atmosphere to it it's just a kind of a jolly little tune on the pan pipes um, <laughs> throughout most of it so um, quality wise it's pretty cool you can tell at this point you know in the mid 80s that you know synthesizers are coming into a lot more and you know sounds of its time of course but yeah pad is normally pretty sweet but not hitting the mark for me on this one no me either in fact I was finding it even by the beginning of episode two i was finding it really irritating actually it's, it's a shame because i normally like paddy's music <laughs> i think he's done some good good stuff um through who i normally like it but no really doesn't suit the story and it's in, intrusive uh, a lot of the time it seems to it's almost as if there's no scene without music i don't know it seems to be all the way through every episode just going on and on and on and it's um yeah the only word i can use is intrusive it doesn't mm. suit it one bit and uh, it's it's yeah, it's annoying uh, that the panpipe sound and everything just, it's that same rift as, you know, it's the same piece of music just over and over again, pretty much with a slight variation. It's, um, 
it's distracting and it doesn't help the story at all. And I didn't didn't like the music one bit. It was really getting on my nerves actually. By the end yeah. of the story, I was like, yeah. oh, that blimmin' panpipe, give it a rest. <laughs> yeah, it was. I found it irritating, which I don't normally get that annoyed by music, to be honest with you. But mm. it uh, it's, uh, overshadows a lot of scenes. Um, it's too domineering. Yeah. Not no good. Reason, no Not reason. good. It doesn't help at all. Yeah. Okay. Have you got anything else on your notes you want to mention? Uh, just that the... Um, just I talked earlier when we first started um, about how this story resonates with me f- for a few reasons because of uh, when it aired when I was a kid um, and I talked about the fact I liked the Tractators as a kid um, and, and I love the, the fragmented TARDIS uh, that is another thing because a bit like Bidmead I've got a fascination with the inside of the TARDIS and uh, so has he and the TARDIS in general so again as a kid just loved that bit with the Tractators goes in the TARDIS and it's got bits of wall mm. all around it and it it just I thought it was such a great idea and a great concept I wish it had come into the story earlier but the other bit I want to talk about very quickly is the bit where the TARDIS is in brackets destroyed and it's just a hat stand left because when I was a kid JNT had given this sort of quote to the newspapers that he was going to get rid of the TARDIS he was going to get rid of the police box oh yeah yeah and um, I remember that very clearly and uh, being horrified yeah I do I really do I remember thinking no no can't do that because I love the TARDIS love everything about it and I think that's what very first drew me into Doctor Who was the fascination with this blue box and you know I told you that I turned my parents wardrobe into TARDIS it fascinated me so the thought of JNT getting rid of it horrified me so when that cliffhanger aired mate i can picture myself in my bedroom then how old i would have been what year was this 84. anyway yep. i can picture myself in my bedroom being mortified and thinking oh my god he's done it he's actually done it and i and so the anticipation to to watch next week's episode to to hopefully find out that the tardis hadn't really been destroyed but you don't find out until the end um, but I, I just, yeah, remember that so clearly thinking, mm. no, no, he's actually got rid of it. Oh, my God, it's true. The newspapers are right. Um, and, yeah, thankfully, he it was, you know, it was all bluff. It was just publicity that J&T was great at producing. But there, that's what I mean. I have a lot of uh, nostalgic attachment to this story, even though it's not particularly great, if you know what I mean. There are moments that... Um, I just loved as a kid. It's more visuals than the story. It's like yeah. stuff like that, like yeah. the coat hanger, uh, coat stand. I mean, you know, being yeah. the yeah. destroyed TARDIS and stuff. I always love watching it because it just takes me back to being a kid watching it, and I can remember the emotions of of this story. Um, which is, it, it's almost a shame it doesn't stand up very well uh, anymore because mm. I want it to be better than it is because <laughs> I just remember really liking it when I was small. But yeah. So it's a funny one. It's a funny one for me. I sort of get enjoyment out watching it, but more out, more out of nostalgia, I think, yeah. than anything else. Gotcha. Okay, um, makes sense, dude. Uh, right, scores on the doors. I think it's me to go first. It's you to go first, I and believe. I'm going to give this a, a shot right down the middle with a five. Oh, it five. A five out of ten. Yeah, it's very, very middle of the road Yeah, for me. Um, yeah, not much really to say on it other than... I just didn't enjoy it past a five mm-hmm. for those reasons that we've gone through in the review. But yeah, it should have been a great story because as I mentioned, some of the ingredients are really cool. But for some reason, 
the universe hasn't brought us an explanation yet. Um, <laughs> the ingredients don't quite mix together to give us a decent enough story. But yeah, five from me. What about you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I'm going to give it a 6.5. Um, so I'm a bit higher than you on this one. Um, maybe a bit generous there. But as I said, I do get enjoyment out of certain scenes and certain elements of it. And I, I can see the potential in it as a story. Yeah, um, but yeah. I agree. Watching it last night, it, it doesn't hold together very well. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'll go a bit higher, six point five. Nice. Okay, then. So a five from me, six more five from him. Uh, what did our listeners think over on the socials? Over on Twitter, Will Sanger says, "Honestly, I think it's a dreadful story. Ooh. The cliffhanger to episode one is great, but it feels like it's a story that never evolves. With way too much wandering around some caves, the tractators don't work at all in execution." And the storyline with Turlow falls apart. Uh, Will, not a fan there. Our writer, Jordan Shortman, says, This has grown on me over the years, but it's not one of my faves, unfortunately. It's dark and grim, and that's fine, but for me it's a little too dark and grim. Still, the main cast are excellent and make for a great TARDIS trio, and the Tractators are a good one-off monster. Okay. Uh, Owen, Doctor Who Home, says, Great set design, love the production quality of this... um, of this but as for the story itself i'm drawing a complete blank i'll have to revisit all i can say is i remember it looking nice plus the tractators are great chippy mm. t says not a bad first episode as a setup but after that exposition heavy with um everything laid out for you uh, ponderous villains and frontios leaders who got them to the far reaches of the universe without knowing much about anything <laughs> uh, wood lice in space 4.5 for me i expected more <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Michelle Hamilton says, I personally like Frontios. It's, uh, yes, it's dark and grim, but that was the general feeling for season 21. The fifth Doctor has reached his stride. Great dialogue and acting. For me, it's an eight out of ten. An eight? Blimey. Nice one, Michelle. Um, Paul Jobbo says, um, uh, the tractators are are great concepts, but poorly realised. And at the start of episode three, they seemed uh, related to the Zabi as they ran away screaming mm. from the phosphor Tegan throws. Oh, that's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, great design <laughs> elsewhere, though. Clever use of lighting and perspective. The atmosphere and tension is well-pitched, and um, and a strong performance from Mark Strickson. Base under siege with a shouty man in charge. Seven mm. Blake Seven Federation helmets out of ten. Yay! Yay! Cheers, Paul. <laughs> and lastly on Twitter, welcome back, Sarah Louise of Running Hoovian. Hi, Sarah. She says, a first watch for me, and I quite enjoyed it. Overall, a good oh. cast performance, and the tractators were certainly memorable with their flapping hands and dramatically rigid tumbles. Seven out of ten. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, over on Twitter and then on Facebook, we had a few over there. Martin Arnold says, Space, the final frontios. My lingering memory is that ominous musical motif. It's a strange story. Like most of season 21, it's got a sense of impending doom and hopelessness to it, much like watching The Twin Dilemma. Mm. Laughing face. (laughs) Uh, What happens to the colony leader, if memory serves, is pretty grim, along with the music. I'm mostly reminding of a drooling Mark Strixing yelling tractators. Um, Story is in two halves as a result. Not sure that entirely works, but the atmosphere is really strong. I give it 7.5 exploding TARDISes out of 10. Cool. Thank you very much. Toby Coleman says, for a story I I brought nothing, for a story I, I thought knowing nothing about, this is 
but actually pretty decent. It's grim and foreboding, whilst not being too hard to watch. The cast are good, especially Tegan and Turlo. I also like the music. The Tractator design is a little rubbery, but aren't most of the classic monsters. 7.5. He likes the music. Well, that's yeah. interesting. Cool, Toby. Uh, and then lastly, Charlie Turner says, not too bad of a story, but not one of my faves. Still in my top 10 of Davison, though. Unsure of a rating for this one at this present mm. time. Fair enough. Keeping us waiting. So more mm. positive over on Facebook. I think the average scores are seven for this, bud. Yeah, it's, to be it. fair, it's, it's a bit higher than I thought. I wasn't sure how all this would go down. I don't know about you. I thought the yeah. listeners might not be a fan of this one, but it's pretty average, isn't it? It's a pretty average one, yeah. Mm. Yes. Very, very cool. Thank you very much, listeners, for giving us your thoughts and your scores out of 10. Muchly appreciated, as always. Right, let's leave behind Mr. Davison, probably for another year or so. <laughs> and let's concentrate on the next story, which is dude for next week. So, yeah, we'll be drifting back to some Hartnell uh, story next week with the Reign of Terror. Oh. The Reign of Terror. Dude, can, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this one many parts? Or have I got that uh, wrong? Is it oh, it's only six. Part six. Yeah, it's six. Yeah. 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 Is it? Okay. What I can't remember is if it's animated or telesnap or both. I can't remember. Hmm. I think. Um, I think it's animated. I'm sure yeah. I'm picturing the cover, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Anyway, yeah, we shall find out next we'll week. Find out. Yeah, next week. Mm. So back to some Hartnell First Doctor action for uh, for the Reign of Terror next week. Very good. And I think we'll wrap there, dude. Let's wrap it there for 374. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Big Blue Box. That was episode 374. Next week for 375, as Adam said, we're going to be reviewing the first Doctor story, The Reign of Terror. So um, get your your DVDs out for that. Get your brick box fired up and uh, get that watch because we'll be asking for your thoughts and your scores out of 10, etc. As always, in the meantime make sure that you are following or subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts as we put a new episode out every single Friday. You can also listen for free over on the website, which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. And while you're there, you can also read and check out the amazing reviews and articles and editorial pieces from our amazing writing team. So, uh, so give them a read and some love over there. We're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The links are on the website. We chat Doctor Who throughout the week. So come and get involved over there. Plus, we have a very cool free Discord server. Again, the link's on the website. Hop into Discord. Uh, have a chat with some very, very cool Who fans over there. Also, don't forget to remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, go check out the YouTube channel, The Geek's Handbag. Also on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And TikTok at last, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go and, go and do all the things over on Adam's channel. I can't get into <laughs> it. I just can't get into TikTok. Oh, dear. All righty, until next week. Too old. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Adam. And remember... Hey. 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 Hey.